Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Ariana Brocious, in for Christopher Conover. On today's show, we speak with Celestino Fernandez, Professor Emeritus of Sociology at the U of A. His research focuses on Mexican immigration, education, and popular culture, particularly music. In late October, Fernandez gave a talk at the Fox Theater in Tucson as part of this fall's Soundscapes lecture series through the U of A College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. Fernandez was kind enough to join us at the AZPM studios to expand on some of the aspects of his lecture. So for those of us who live in Tucson, near the border, we hear a lot of what we might think of as border music, but I think a lot of us probably couldn't distinguish one form of it from the next, and much less do we know the history behind the music. To put it simply, this has been the focus of your career, right? What drew you to studying these different kinds of music? Well, I I initially started to collect corridos based on one that my father liked. And they were the topic at that time that I started collecting was uh, immigration, anything to do with immigration. And there are many, many. I mean, I have more than 100. And then I started uh, analyzing and writing about them and and then composing them. But I also have written on paper on La Bamba, and I've written a paper on La Canción Ranchera. And so, well, as a sociologist, it's part of society, it's part of humanity, it's part of how we identify ourselves, whoever we may be, any group has its music and its traditions. And so I, that's how I started and, and got into this whole thing of music. <laughs> you began your lecture at the Fox Theater several weeks ago by explaining that these three related musical traditions, Norteño, Corridos, and Mariachi, form part of the identity for Mexicans, and that in fact, Music is passed down from one generation to the next. Kids learn to like what their parents like, but it continues in the schools. Mariachi, for example, here in Tucson, elementary school, Davis Bilingual School, Las Aguilita. It continues into middle school, (laughs) the high schools, into college, radio, television, internet, festivals, Tucson, me yourself. Tucson International Mariachi Conference, Norteño Festivals. So in your experience, does that musical transmission happen the same in the U.S. as it does in Mexico? Oh, absolutely. And particularly, well, something is changing because of the Internet. But uh, traditionally, kids grow up in homes where parents play their, their favorite music and kids start to enjoy it. Now with the teenagers and so on, they start to rebel a little bit and maybe there's their new new genres or changes in genres. And however, those uh, roots are still there. And yes, it's the, it happens throughout the world, uh, the way that we learn to like music. What's happened with the internet is that now kids are connected to their own music through their headsets <laughs> and uh, are listening, I think, less and less to what their parents uh, enjoy. Well, one of the examples that you offered in the lecture was um, this group, Los Bañales Juniors, from Zapopan, Jalisco. Zapopan, yes. Zapopan. And they're only 13, 8, and and 11 years old, (laughs) which is kind of remarkable. Uh, And they're playing a Norteño song. So we'll hear an excerpt of that. their home studio. 
talk a little bit about the history of Norteño music? Oh, yes. And first of all, these kids are just very talented. They've performed all over the world, Latin America, and including in the United States. They were last year on Little Big Shots. But Norteño music, Norteño simply means northern, and northern from in northern Mexico. But the music originates in the South Valley along the U.S.-Mexico border, Texas and Mexico. And Germans and Eastern Europeans, they brought their music, they brought their instruments, particularly the button accordion. And Mexicanos uh, took that and uh, combined it with a 12-string guitar called bajo sexto and created uh, the Norteño sound. And a lot of the earlier tunes, or even into today, many of them are polkas because that's the music uh, that Germans brought and other Eastern Europeans. But Norteño groups or Norteño performers uh, play a, a great variety of, of genres today. Polkas, they play waltzes, they play cumbias, they play rancheras, and they play corridos. Lots and lots of corridos. So what's a corrido? Corridos are ballads, basically eight-syllable, four- or six-line poetic stanzas that document real-life events. Corridos are not dance music. Corridos are about the lyrics, the story being told. So frequently, the opening line to a corrido is, Señores, pongan cuidado. Ladies and gentlemen, lend me your ears. Listen to the story. Right? And at the end, it's usually closed. There's a closing. Así termina el corrido. This is how the ballad, the corrido ends. If death has been occurred in this story, the penultimate verse usually begins, Vuela, vuela, palomita. Fly, fly, little dove. A reference to the spiritual. Corridos are the voice of el pueblo, the working class. These corridos give a voice to people that generally don't have a voice in society. You call a corrido the editorial page of El Pueblo. Can you explain that? Yes. and in, in fact, Jim Griffith, Big Jim Griffith, and I wrote a paper on, on uh, uh, horse race corridos along the border. And uh, we talked about the corrido as the editorial page of the, of the, of the Pueblo. And what is it, uh, the editorial page? Well, the editorial page will take an issue, a real issue, and analyze it and provide a perspective. And likewise, the corrido takes a real-life event, analyze it from the perspective of the working class, of the common people, el pueblo, and provides its perspective, the moral of the story. There's usually a moral to the story in, in the corrido. And so that's how we came up with this notion of the editorial page of El Pueblo. There's sort of a journalism behind it. I mean, a kind of a, beyond the, the, the storytelling, it's real events. It's, it's documenting what's happening. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, if it weren't for corridos, we wouldn't have a lot of feature-length commercial films because the inspiration for these films have been corridos, stories that have been documented and retained, made available through the corridos. As you explained, like certain kinds of poems, corridos have a structure. As someone who's written so many corridos yourself, how do you work storytelling into that form? 
Well, you, you take facts. You begin with facts, real life events, real people, real dates, real locations. And, and you weave the story in a poetic form in this eight count, eight syllables. And um, if you've grown up listening to corridos, if you're inspired to write one at some point, you'll probably be able to. There are events that occur that have inspired individuals to compose corridos, a death, an assassination. And they were not composers, they're not musicians, they don't sing, they don't play guitar, they don't do anything. And all of a sudden, this event has such an impact that you want to document it in this form. As you explained in your lecture at the Fox Theater, corridos are border music and, and they tell the stories of this complicated region. The border has been a source of inspiration for corridistas for a hundred years at least. And when we think border corridos, think heroic stands against discrimination, prejudice, where Mexicanos are frequently the subject of tragedy. So can you explain some of the common themes that often occur in corridos, especially the popularity in, in recent years of the narco corridos? It basically, anything that happens on the border or around the border has been documented in corridos. So, for example, immigration, a huge issue today uh, and has been historically, although it has never been this contentious. So that's a theme that's well documented in corridos. And over the course of time, one can go through these corridos and see the changes in immigration policy, for example. And another theme is just conflict along the border, cultural conflict, language, traditions, dominance, power, relationships. So there's a lot of that. Uh, Corrida Gregorio Cortez, for example, he's accused of killing a sheriff. Actually, he did kill a, a sheriff in Texas over a misunderstanding, and um, his brother had been killed. So that is a, a very well-known corrido with many, many different variants. Joaquin Murrieta in California, an, another one. And so basically any issue. Now today, the last probably 20 years, there's a sub category of called narco corridos, and those are corridos that deal with anything having to do with drug trafficking, the drug lords, the shootings, the movement of drugs, and so on. And these are very popular with young males. I'm not particularly a particular fan of these, although I've written about them, not because so much of the content is it the quality. They're just not very good. And they're mostly two, three minutes. They're very short. They don't tell much of a story. It's like, okay, shoot them up, bang, and, you know, like we move this drugs and I'm the toughest guy in town. Kind of, you, get, you get old very, very quickly. And many of these corridos are the result of individuals paying to have a composer write a corrido about them. So they all make them look favorable. Very sad. I mean, it's just just tragic kind of. It's unfortunate because young young males in particular, I don't think they know the corrido genre outside of narco corridos, and it's such a wide ranging that is they cover wide ranging topics and and it's very historical and 
It's a tradition, like I said earlier, of, of the people, for the people, by the people. You wrote a corrido about an incident that occurred about six years ago uh, when a Border Patrol agent killed a teenager, Jose Antonio Elena Rodriguez. It's especially timely now because the agent that was involved was recently acquitted of involuntary manslaughter in a second trial. So we're going to hear a bit of that corrido and then we'll talk about it. Sonaron varios palazos con intención de matar. Así comienza el corrido que aquí les voy a cantar. José quedó ahí tirado en el suelo agonizando. Ni recargo su arma para seguirle apuntando. Despedida no les doy, solo nos queda la pena que la migra asesinó al joven. Why did you write that particular corrido? Well, because the young man deserved it. He was a 16-year-old kid shot by an adult or a patrol agent through the fence. And if you've ever gone to the location, and why did the agent shoot him? He says he was afraid for his life because they were throwing rocks. Now you have to basically throw rocks almost 36 feet high. The other Florida Patrol agents testified that they weren't afraid. All they did is move back a little bit. And it wasn't just one shot. It wasn't two shots. It was 16 shots, two in the head and eight in the back. And this, this event is the kind of event that inspires individuals to write corridos um, because here he is, acquitted. Um, the agent's acquitted. But I can assure you that in the eyes and hearts of El Pueblo, he is guilty. Not once, not twice, 16 times. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Ariana Brocious, in for Christopher Conover. This week, we're exploring some of the traditions and history behind prominent musical styles of the border region with U of A Emeritus Professor of Sociology, Celestino Fernandez. Well, let's transition now to talk about the third style of music that you discussed, mariachi, probably the most familiar musical style to listeners. And in your lecture, you explained that there's some confusion around where the word itself originated. The most common is that it originated with the French occupation of Mexico, the French word for marriage, mariage, because a lot of the French use string bands at their events. The word itself comes from the coca language of the indigenous coca people, initially referred to a tree, then later to the platform where dancers dance, then later to any musical group any musical group that played for those dancers, and eventually to what we know today as mariachi. 
The people in Jalisco, and particularly Guadalajara or Cocula, say that this is the cuna del mariachi, the birthplace of the mariachi. Mariachi did not, was not born in Guadalajara or Cocula. It is of a region that includes Nayarit, Colima, Jalisco, and Michoacán. So how is it that we know that it didn't come from French occupation? Well, in 1852, about nine years before the French arrived in Mexico, Father Cosme Santana wrote his bishop. And he said, Bishop, <laughs> guess what? I took away the instruments of these musicians that play after Mass every Sunday, and around here they called them mariachis. So mariachi has a long history in the Americas. How did it become border music? Well, it became border music uh, through events like the Tucson International Mariachi Conference. It originated almost 37 years ago, and uh, it's, it just flourished here. And what it is is that during a, almost a week long, there are workshops for mariachi performers, any age, basically. But the idea is that for this week, they're taught uh, by professional mariachis. The best, Cobre, Los Camperos, Sol de Mexico, and of course, uh, Mariachi Vargas de Tecalitlan. This conference became so popular that others had co have come here to Tucson, including people from Guadalajara, <laughs> to learn how to organize an annual conference. I mean, think almost, almost a thousand students every year. In, and now there are conferences in many other cities in the United States, or festivals, or concerts. And then it's, it, the schools have really picked them up. Uh, when we started, what, 37 or so years ago, maybe one school had a mariachi music program. Today there are many, including elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, colleges, universities, not only throughout the Southwest, but basically throughout the world. Well, and there's also this interesting connection uh, between mariachi and Catholicism that you mentioned in your lecture. So uh, let's hear a little bit about that. The Catholic Church has had a very interesting relationship with mariachis, from disdain to inclusion. They didn't like mariachis because of mariachis were associated with bars and restaurants and serenades and a little bit of tequila and that kind of thing. In the mid-1960s, Catholics were dropping out of the church. And there was a priest named Mark, Jean-Marc Leclerc, a French priest assigned to a parish in Cuernavaca, outside of Mexico City. And he noticed that the people really enjoyed mariachi. And he said to the bishop, what if we bring the mariachi in the church? You think that people would follow, especially men? Now, the bishop was kind of a, kind of a radical bishop, Sergio Mendes Arceo. And he said, what a great idea. He was already in trouble with the hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, let's bring the mariachi in. <laughs> so this priest um, wrote La Misa Panamericana. And I have a copy of the original album, and it's what we know today as the Mariachi Mass. So what is the Mariachi Mass? Well, the Mariachi Mass is a, a mass where mariachis play 
many of the prayers. And um, one can hear mariachi mass here in Tucson at the cathedral every Sunday. I mean, mariachi masses are very inspirational. Um, if you hear mariachi music, it's an upbeat music, and uh, the violins, the trumpets, the vihuela, and to have individuals, the mariachis who sing well, it's just uh, a special kind of mass. They have mariachi masses for funerals, for weddings, for baptism, for just regular Sunday mass. <laughs> Very integrated into the life of the church now in some places then. Absolutely. So you also go on to explain that mariachi is a culture. It includes the attire, the musicians, the instrumentation, performance, and um, that there's actually been an evolution in what we now consider sort of the standard outfit of the mariachi. The standardization of instruments and the attire really occurred during what is called the golden age of Mexican cinema, 20s, 30s, and 30s, 40s, and 50s. And it started with this movie, Allá en el Rancho Grande. During that period, 30s, 40s, and 50s, over 200 movies were made that included mariachis. By the end of that period, the instruments were standardized, the attire was standardized, and so mariachis look like they do today, but that's not what they always look like. There was a mariachi in 1905 that was invited to Mexico City to play at President Diaz's birthday party. Now, if you and I get invited to the White House, we're probably not going to dress in our daily clothes, street clothes. Probably going to try to dress up a little bit. So the mariachis started going to Mexico City, looked around, and it's like, how do people dress for special men, dress for special occasions, or for Sunday Mass? Well, the charros of that region, the men of that region, dress basically like this. So they started to dress the mariachis, try to dress the mariachis up to go to Los Pinos or Mexico City or outside of the region. Traditionally, the attire is black. Now it's every color in the rainbow is used. So that's really fascinating, I think, that it's changed so much because it's something we think of as very classic, a very classic look. Uh, yes, and, and, and that's, I think, part of what's not uh, understood by younger generations about the tradition because you get these mariachis today that say, well, we only want to look and play traditional mariachi. So, but what is tradition? If they really go back, they'd be using many more instruments and dressed differently. So what they really is, basically from the Mexican cinema and, and, and now the attire that's very standard and a lot of colors, embroidery or the silver metal buttons, which really aren't buttons anymore. But yes, no, the, the attire today is uh, not the original or traditional attire. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for the invitation to, to be on the show and... It's a great music, all three of them, Norteño, Corridos, and Mariachi. And that's the buzz for this week. To take us out, we'll hear from Tucson-based Mariachi Sonido de Mexico, who performed live during Celestino Fernandez's lecture at the Fox Theater. 
Next week on The Buzz, we'll talk through the most recent climate change research at the global, national, and local levels with U of A experts. You can find all episodes of The Buzz online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. I'm Ariana Brocious, producer and editor of the show. Christopher Conover will be back next week. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. Our theme music is by Enter the Haggis. This week, we also featured music performed by Los Bañales Juniors, Guillermo Sainz, and Mariachi Sonido de México. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.